0: What is up everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, Football Analyst and sideline Reporter, John Harrison. So glad to be with you as we near a Saturday contest with the New York Jets. Wait, Saturday? Well, yeah. This year we've played on a Thursday. We played on Sundays, of course. We played on a Monday night. And we're gonna I think that's the yeah, that's the most days you can play on in the NFL. Thursday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We'll hit the Grand Slam when we go to the Meadowlands on Saturday to take on the New York Jets. 4-9 Jets, a team that has really struggled this year, kind of getting out of its own way in some sense. Don't do really anything really, really well. The offense has struggled, but they put up 42 on the Colts earlier this year. They put up 47 on the Lions. Now, a lot of that had to do with special teams and knots, non-offensive touchdowns. But they're capable of beating anybody anytime, case in point. Look at what they did last week to Buffalo. Buffalo beat the Jets earlier in the year in the Meadowlands, 41-10. to Sam Darnold got them back, 27-23, just last week. So it was a long losing streak for the Jets, but they ended it against a division rival on the road. That should give him some confidence going back home on a short week. And it's not as if this team lacks talent. Jamal Adams, one of the best safeties, one of the best defensive players in the league. Le- uh, Leonard Williams, I want to call him Leo Williams. Leonard Williams, one of the better interior players uh, on the defensive side in the entire NFL. Robbie Anderson, I called him today when I did an interview with, with somebody, I called him a poor man's Will Fuller. Dude can Smoke. Downfield. I don't think he's as talented as well, but he can run. And he's made a bunch of plays this year for the New York Jets. Leads him in receiving yards and touchdowns. So it's not as if this team is without talent. Of course, rookie quarterback Sam Donald was the number three pick in the overall draft. I, I think i laid this out for you. Starting with the Redskins. Washington. Alex Smith, number one overall pick. Then came home for Tennessee. Marcus Mariota, number two overall pick uh, in 2015. Alex Smith was 2005. Yeah, that's right, 2005. Andrew Luck, number one overall pick 2012. New York Jets, Sam Darnold, number three overall pick. And then the Philadelphia Eagles. Now here's where it gets a little bit dicey. There's a little bit of news about Philadelphia. Carson Wentz is dealing with a back injury. So my, my plan, as I wrote this all out about a month ago, was that they would face Carson Wentz, number two pick in 2016 and then face Blake Bortles' number three pick in 2014. So they were going to face down the stretch the last six, seven games of the year. They were going to face no worse than a number three overall pick in a draft. This is one of them this week. Then again, don't know what's going to happen with the Eagles. The Eagles got to go out to L.A. to take on the Rams. And it doesn't look like Carson Wentz is going to play in that game. And if the Eagles lose that one, they'll pretty much be out of the playoff race. So they may just keep Carson Wentz shelved for the rest of the year. Jacksonville's already gone to Cody Kessler, so we already know what's happening there. I still think we're going to see Blake Bortles in that game. I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling. And I'm pretty sure that we're going to see Sam Darnold on Saturday for the New York Jets. So we're going to talk about that today with a number of different people. We're going to talk with Brian Gain for the Gain Plan with Mark Vandermeer. Mark sat down with Brian, talked about a number of things. This is a pretty special one I would imagine for Brian. He started his personnel career with the Jets many years ago with Bill Parcells Russell Baxter is going to join us at Bax football guru on Twitter you can follow him he's fantastic he'll join us talk about things going on around the NFL and that big matchup tomorrow night Chargers and Chiefs at Arrowhead we're gonna go behind the mics with Bob with the play-by-play voice of the New York Jets and also if you' college football he does college football games every single Saturday I believe it's with Brock he- Heward So we'll have our Men Behind the Mic segment. Then Mark's going to stop by. We'll talk about going to New York slash New Jersey. And then our good buddy Andre Ware as well to give his thoughts on this weekend's matchup. Some of the things he saw last Sunday that need to improve. And then what the Texans need to do to go get a win against the New York Jets. So that is everything on the show. So let's get kicked off with some hot reads. This is brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Now... I like on Wednesday to hear from the guys, the coaches, the players, the guys, you know, those guys. So today's a little different though because the normal schedule is is off a little bit. Everything move, is moved up a day, but yet our radio schedule is still the same. So a lot of the things that I end up playing on Wednesday, well, we played some of that yesterday. But then a lot of things on Thursday that I don't get to play, I get to play on Wednesday. Like hearing from Jadevion Clowney. Of course, J D was asked to start with the the final play of the game against Indianapolis. Essentially, there's a bunch of knees taken after the two minute warning. But that final play when he jumped offside, everybody in the Houston media's been talking about it. It is what everybody wanted to talk with him about, and he finally had a chance to talk about it and said, Look, I'm I'm mad about it, but I gotta put it behind me.
1: I was upset about the play. Of course, uh, you don't want to jump outside in that situation. Made a mistake. Uh, Went really. I don't know. It happened. I'm past it.
0: That's the right way to go about it. He's got to try and put it behind him. But I've said this a million times. The people that always point out one play in a game. There are 130, 140 plays in the game. One play doesn't change the whole thing. One play doesn't change the whole thing. Now, there are six to eight key plays. But there are, there are all kinds of things that happened in our football game. That jumping off sides didn't cost the Texans that game. It didn't. But a lot of people wanted to point to it. And a lot of people were upset. I was upset. J.D. was upset. We were all upset about that particular play. It happened. But if I know J.D. Clowney, if there's one thing that I've realized about him since he's been here starting in 2014, and I've noticed this about a few of the guys on the team, but J.D. in particular, he gave one up. He's about to go get it back. He's definitely going to go get it back. That's always been the way. And I think about Hop against Dallas. Hop had that fumble against the Cowboys. And Hop walked over to the sideline. And he walked up to Bill O'Brien. And he said, I'll get it back. And then he made maybe the the penultimate play of the year with the spinorama against Dallas. So, J.D.'s going to go get it back. I That doesn't concern me whatsoever. He's going to go get it back on Saturday against the New York Jets. Talked about Sam Darnold, quarterback, and never seen him before. He's a rookie, but you watch on film, you see some of the things that Darnold does, and J.D. said he makes a lot of plays with his legs.
1: we got to corral him and keep him in the pocket. Uh, same as all week, all, uh, every week, stop the run and try to keep him in the pocket and force him to make turnovers. There's
0: no doubt. I think it's even more important this week because Sam hasn't proven to be as on point as Baker Mayfield, and he's certainly not as on point as Andrew Luck. In fact, he's completing only 53.5% of his passes, Put that next to the numbers of Andrew Luck and Baker Mayfield. You're not talking about the same guy. So you've got to make him throw from the pocket. You let him get on the run, and he's going to destroy you. He will absolutely destroy you. Now, because Donald is a mobile quarterback, J.D. talked about what are the keys – to facing a mobile quarterback in his position, a guy that rushes from the edge.
1: Everybody rushes to the level of the quarterback and trying to press the pocket. No flybys, uh, no open up the lanes up the middle. Just try to push the pocket and not run by them. Uh, make him throw from the well. Uh, that's what we're going to try to do this week.
0: I know J.D. was frustrated on Sunday, had to be, because he got to Andrew Luck a number of times, but he just was not quite in a position where he could could bring Luck down. Luck's a big dude. Donald's a big guy, too. He's probably about 10 pounds or so less than Andrew, but he's a big guy too. When they get back there, they're going to have to do everything possible to get both hands on jerseys, grab jersey, whatever they can do to get him down, and J.D.'s going to be a big part of that. Another guy rushing the quarterback that is going to be a part of it is Whitney Merciless. And, of course, you start thinking at this time of year when you're 9-4, you start thinking about the postseason And Whitney says, no, man. ...to
1: the postseason and, um, you know, really look forward to that. But, you know, we still got to take care of things with these last few games and not, you know, put the cart before the horse. And uh, really secure, you know, some some advantages for ourselves going into the postseason.
0: No doubt. He's exactly right. You take care of the business at hand. You have to take care of that. And to do that, you got to focus on execution. And Whitney talked about, Teams at this time of year still can have some things that that surprise. So you got to make sure you execute the game plan.
1: Everybody can still pull out a bag of tricks every now and then, but we just have to be disciplined, um, understand what we, understand what we need to do, and execute uh, great, uh, you know, play sound techniques all over the place, and really just play with a uh, high energy, and focus, uh, and intensity, and uh, really, really uh, get ahead in these games and secure those wins as well, too. That's a good point.
0: Secure the wins. I love hearing that. Secure the wins. Now, Justin Reed also talked in the locker room, the rookie safety. A uh, tough day on, on Sunday against the Colts for everybody in the secondary, but he said we're always trying to learn everything we can to do it in a positive way.
1: One of my best attributes is I learn from other people. I've learned a ton from Tyron. I've learned a ton from Jack and Joe and uh, Slick and all the guys in the room. They tell me things, and I take it and I try and add it to my game to make myself a better player, and I do that with guys around the league too. You can always learn something from somebody. So I look at what my opponents do, what other players at my position do well. I try and see if I can replicate it or better it. And
0: there's a guy this week that you definitely want to emulate as a safety. That's Jamal Adams on the other side. With the Jets... They may be out of the race. They may be completely out of the playoff race. But, Justin said, they're going to play hard. And that showed against Buffalo. They went and got that win. They'll play hard.
1: These guys always put up good effort. You know what I mean? They put up good effort. And I respect that, seeing them do that, because I'm a competitor, and I like seeing other competitors. That's what competitors want. We want to compete against each other. We want good competition. We want people who going to lay down. And the Jets aren't going to do that, so we're going to have to be prepared to play against them.
0: No doubt. Got to be ready to Roll against the Green and White on Saturday. Great stuff there from J.D., from Whip and also from Justin Reed. All right, our next hot read is the injury report. And not a ton change on the Texans' side with one exception, and that is DeAndre Carter went from limited participant to a full participant, and that is great news such that he might be able to be ready for Saturday and hopefully being a full participant today, tomorrow, he'll be ready to go for Saturday, and that's great news to get him back in the lineup. On the Jets' side, a couple of running backs, Trenton, Cannon and Eli McGuire became limited participants, and that's good news for them. The Jets need to have some running game, and getting McGuire and Cannon back will definitely bolster those chances to get them ready for Saturday, so we'll see if they're ready to go, because Isaiah Crowell still dealing with that toe issue for the Jets. So, that is your injury report. Last hot read. A few additions to the practice squad. Keenan Gilchrist, linebacker, is back. Amba Edetawo, Wide receiver from Syracuse added to the practice squad. Also, Marquis Shakur out of Middle Tennessee State. A guard added because Deshaun Hall and Kyle Fuller were put on active rosters throughout the league. So, that'll get you up to date with who is now on the practice squad after some changes. And I want to make sure I just give a, a quick salute to Derek Newton, who signed with the New Orleans Saints after that horrific injury where he tore both patellar tendons in his knees against the Denver Broncos in 2016. He's been rehabbing forever and just want to salute him for all that he did for the Texans and then getting an opportunity with the New Orleans Saints I think is is fantastic stuff. So, Newt, congratulations, my man, and best of luck to you. All right, those are your hot reads presented to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. It's time for the game plan with Brian Gaines man who started his career with the New York Jets will join Mark Vandermeer next on Texans All Access. The Texans will be in New Jersey on Saturday taking on the New York Jets. And Well, whether you want to call them the New Jersey Jets or the New York Jets is, well, that's uh, your prerogative. But a lot of you will be here in Houston on Saturday, and I tell you that because there's a huge opportunity for you. If you want to get in shape and you want to do a little to help a cause, well, the 2018 Running of the Bulls 5K run and walk presented by HEB is this Saturday at NRG Park. The race finishes on the floor of NRG Stadium and all racers will get a commemorative race t-shirt and entrance to the post-race party featuring free food and Bud Light plus autographs with Texans cheerleaders and ambassadors. Visit HoustonTexans.com today to sign up. What better way to spend a Saturday to run or walk, run and or walk of 5K? Go have some free food Throw down some beer, meet some Texas cheerleaders and ambassadors, and then go to your favorite place wherever you go watch and watch the Texans beat up on a New York Jets. That's a great Saturday. You don't get that often on a Saturday because the Texans are playing on Sunday most times. But late in the year, you get a Saturday game. So that's one way that you can do it. Running of the Bulls, 5K Run and Walk, presented by H-E-B, this Saturday at NRG Park. Go sign up, HoustonTexans.com. All right, it's time. For the game plan. And this one is a little extra special, I would imagine, for Brian Gain. The New York Jets, that's where he started his personnel career. He had gone into the NFL, played for a little while, and then was looking for the next step. And Bill Parcells gave him and helped give him that next step going into the personnel side of things. And obviously, he moved up the ladder all the way till he became the general manager of your Houston Texans. And each and every week, he sits down with Mark Vandermeer. For the game plan.
2: Brian, it's a short week. It's kind of like you played on Monday Night Football. Same kind of gap of time between game to game and you get ready to go on the road and play the New York Jets. What about that quick turnaround?
1: Yeah, it's a challenge. Uh, ultimately, you, know, you, you have to do a lot of research and, and, and effort here as it relates to uh, coordinating with our strength and conditioning department, with our trainers because it all cor- uh, directly correlates to the health of the team and the readiness of the team. Equally, the practice plan in terms of giving the players the proper time to recover and get ready for, for a performance on Saturday. So that's a fair, fair uh, evaluation of it. But look, we, we got a quick turnaround, and we got a very important game this week. It's a conference opponent, has a direct impact on playoff seedings, on playoff chances, but, but nothing else matters in terms of playoffs if we don't win this game. This is the, right. the most important game because it's the next game. It's an opportunity, opportunity for us to get our 10th win of the season, to get to go 10-4 and four in the season. And the Jets are coming off an impressive victory this past week on the road up in Buffalo, a tough place to win. So we got a good challenge ahead of us.
2: Just to put the Colts game in the rear view mirror, what were your thoughts on that performance? I know you did some good things, but you didn't do enough to get over the hump.
1: Yeah, so dis- disappointing any you come out on the short end, especially in a division game and a division game that was being played at home. Uh, of the four losses we had this year, this was another one-score game. You know, another three-point loss. If you look at the the losses that we've had, none of them are good. Um, but we had an opportunity, at least being at the end of the game, to to position you know, position ourselves to go for the tie or the win. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But there were some good things that came out of it. You know, when I think about our offense, you know, we've we've had a ton of red-zone opportunities this year. You know, we haven't always come out of there with touchdowns, but we went 3-for-3 in the red zone. That stood out to me. We were 3-for-3 in goal-to-go situations. We actually had 25 first downs yesterday on offense. Um, Unfortunately, that didn't lead to victory, but those are some of the things that stood out. And I I felt like our young tight ends had a presence yesterday in in the passing game. Defensively speaking, uh, look, they they scored more points than we did. That's the way it goes. Uh, You know, 17-7 at half. We held them one touchdown in the second half. Um, but what I was impressed with with our defense was it was it was an excellent start to the game. Uh, I think we had three straight three and outs on defense as it related to us playing the the Colts offense. Um, we we did stuff the run, and that's something we're priding ourselves on. Uh, just came up short, let up too many big plays, and uh, just didn't score more points than the opponent. But we have uh, we have no time. We have to turn the page and and move on to the Jets because we got a big challenge ahead of us.
2: Because you only can dress 46, you got thin at that slot receiver spot. You're already without Kiki QT, and then DeAndre Carter goes out. What about a guy like Joe Webb? I know he didn't light up the scoreboard or anything, but his ability to go in there and do something for you in that spot.
1: Yeah, Joe is a football player. People have asked me to define him uh, before. You know, is he a quarterback, is he a receiver? And, and, and the way I answer that is that Joe is Joe is a football player um gives us great roster of flexibility and value on the 46 man not just on the 53 because in a game setting when you're dressing 46 he plays on fourth down for us he's a he's a core special teams player for us he also can be our third quarterback he also can be our emergency wide receiver and, and unfortunately it led to that event yesterday where he had to go out there and, and be an emergency receiver so he proved his value in that regard height length good play speed good play strength kind of a multi-purpose player, utility player, and that's valuable for us on the 46-man roster. What
2: are you seeing in the New York Jets? Sort of an unpredictability element there with the rookie quarterback.
1: Sure. So Darnold had missed some games, the quarterback. Obviously, they've, they've invested a first-round high pick on the young quarterback, very athletic guy, good size, good arm talent, a quick release. He's very mobile, very athletic. He's a, he's a two-dimension player. He can make the throws necessary to get first downs, but he also can get first downs with his legs, so that's going to be important for us to, to be aware of. As it relates to defense, they got some some core players up front. You know, Leonard Williams is a handful, uh talented three-down player. Uh, he gives them an inside rush presence on third down. That, that'll that be something that we're certainly going to have to be aware of. Um, and Jamal Adams may be one of the best defensive players that we play this year, at least in the top five. Young, a promising safety with uh, ball hawk skills, very good coverage skills. He has a presence in run support. He's a good blitzer. So those are some of the players that stand out. But they're coming off an impressive victory, and that's a momentum builder for any team going on the road up to Buffalo and and, and getting a victory. So they're going to be playing with confidence, and they're playing to win us just as much as we are. So we got our hands full on Saturday.
2: Brian, Bill O'Brien talked about the weather and the fact that you can prepare in some not-so-great Houston weather here for what might not be so good there, mid-40s, rainy, windy, wind coming out of the north, that kind of thing. And to people in the northeast, it's no big deal up
1: there, but maybe for Texans it is. Sure. So the next two weeks, I know the most important one is the Jets. For these next two games, we're going to be playing in the northeast elements here in December, but, but that's what December football is all about. You know, you've got to be able to win – when the elements arrive, and in this situation now, in terms of going to a cold weather environment, that's going to be the case for the next two weeks. But we feel like we're, we're built to succeed in December, and uh, we're optimistic that you know our preparations through the whole season, how we train our guys, uh, how we feed our players, and, and the education that we get them, that our players will be ready to go come Saturday uh, in the December elements in the, no- in, uh, in the Northeast.
2: I know it's all about what's happening on the field Saturday with you, but the Jets is the organization that was your entry point into the NFL. And And what about that when you were a young man trying to make it as a player and then eventually got into scouting?
1: Yeah, very thankful for that opportunity, both as a player and as a, as a front office scout. Uh, 1997, I signed as an undrafted free agent to enter the NFL with the New York Jets at the time, or 1996. Um, Spent the year on the practice squad there. Went to training camp with them in 1997 and got released from there and then spent the 1997 season on the New York Giants practice squad. Uh, In 1999, I got hired as a uh, low-level scouting assistant, entry-level scouting assistant by Bill Parcells and spent seven years at the Jets, climbing through the ranks on the scouting side of things. Uh, Worked under Bill Parcells, worked under Terry Bradway. Very grateful, very thankful for, for those opportunities. I wouldn't be where I am today without the foundation, uh, and the opportunity that I was given at the Jets years ago.
2: What was it like working for Bill Parcells as such a
1: young man trying to make your way? Sure, uh, the best way for me to evaluate, or to, to express that is, is to say that you learned things and you saw things that perhaps you'll never see in a manual or a textbook, <laughs> and they were hands-on experiences. <clears throat> Very fortunate and thankful to have had the opportunity to learn under him. It um, was almost a master's degree in football operations. Um, to learn and see how the whole football op- operation worked. Um, great football knowledge, and uh, to have that, that chance to sit and learn learn underneath, uh, underneath him and to have those conversations about player acquisition, how to build a winning program, how to build a proper football culture, how to create a culture of accountability, create an environment conducive to winning. Also learning how the coaches and the scouts work hand-in-hand and how to build a team through uh, what would be I would call system-specific scouting in terms of the types of players, the prototypical models, what they what they were, um, and then following that up by just letting the, the board speak to you when you pick players. So I uh, learned a ton under Bill, extremely thankful, a uh, ton of gratitude. I wouldn't be here today without him.
2: When you are watching a game, you're not coaching it, so you're watching it and every play and every nuance of it. How do you go about it? Are you making notes on every individual player? How do you digest a game as you're watching it from the booth or wherever you are?
1: Yeah, from start to finish. You know, when, when the game starts, I'm thinking about special teams. Uh, you know, obviously the field position is critically important. How the field is tilting. You know, being aware of where the injuries are, being aware of where the matchups are, where the strengths are, where where the, the disadvantages may be, and then I'm evaluating as the game goes on in terms of situations. When situations emerge, you know, how we're managing first down. Um, down and distance ratios, uh, third down, how are we doing in, in those situational game management moments. Naturally, when injuries occur, that's always our, our biggest fear and, our, and our, our biggest disappointment because I know how much much the players put into the preparation for the week. But if we're, we're dealing with injuries, then we're thinking about the contingency plan of how we, we replace those players. And the coaches always have a great plan for that when that happens, because you're only dressing 46. So if Uh, this happens then we're going to do this if that happens and we're going to do that it's part of the reason also why we're always doing workouts and tryouts to know what's available on the proverbial street so that when and if that opportunity arises that we have to bring players in to replace guys we start that process immediately sunday night
2: when you go up to the New York area, personally, I know you have a lot of family up there, so you have to deal with that, but I know you don't want to be distracted, so how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a combination of both. Uh, obviously, an opportunity to go home and see family is always going to be great. It is a business trip. Try to focus on that, make sure it's a business trip, get all the ticket requests out of, out of the way, and make sure the family is all set so that... Come Saturday, we can just focus on football and focus on the game. But I think it's a special moment when you have a chance in this profession to combine personal and professional because it does not happen too often and to get the opportunity to share my football experiences with my family, being the youngest of five brothers and obviously being from New York, New Jersey. That's where all my roots are. It'll be a special experience for the family. Brian, good luck. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you.
0: That's pretty awesome getting to go back to – the place where you grew up, see a lot of family and friends, and see your Texans get a win, I'm kind of lucky. Oh, I mean, I'm well, Brian's lucky. Brian's lucky, but, you know, I get to do it too each and every week right here when we play at home, actually, back in my home state. So I understand what Brian is going through. This will be pretty cool for him. A couple, I think it was a couple weekends ago. I think it was the Cleveland Browns game. He had a bunch of guys that played at Maine down here, kind of like we do for – our Brown University football reunion, where we have you know, 20, 25 guys come down each every year. We pick a game, and this year we picked the Buffalo game. I think it was the Buffalo game. We picked that game and got together, congregated somewhere around Houston on, on the night before. The guys did I actually had to call a game the night before that. And then go to the game, and then afterwards we all get together, hang out, tell all these old war stories, if you will. It's kind of good stuff. And Then Brian did that a couple of weeks ago with his buddies from Maine, and now he gets a chance to see his family up in New Jersey, a place the Texans haven't gone much to go play. They rotate with AFC East every three years, and so that's why we're playing them. But we haven't finished in the same spot as them, and that's how you end up crossing over with two other teams. That's why we're playing That's why we played Denver this year. That's why we play Cleveland this year. Last year we played Cleveland because we were playing AFC North. This year we played Cleveland because we, unfortunately, both finished last in 2017. That's why we faced Denver as well. But none of those teams are going to finish last this year, I don't believe. Uh, at least it doesn't seem that way. Cleveland's got to win a few more games to get beyond uh, Cincinnati, but they've been playing some really good football. We obviously saw that in the second half over here. And Denver has played good football up until last week where uh, the wheels kind of came off, but they're not going to fall any further than third because of Oakland. Even though Oakland got a win against the Pittsburgh Steelers, which helped everybody in that sense. But Saturday going to be a fun day, I would imagine, for Brian Kane and his family and friends up there in New York, New Jersey area. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk to our good buddy, Russell Baxter, NFL analyst. You can check him out on Twitter, at MaxFootballGuru. Check out at NFL underscore Vibe as well. Fan side NFL Spin Zone, he's all over the place because he knows the game. And we'll talk about this massive matchup on Thursday evening, the Chiefs and Chargers at Arrowhead Stadium. If the Chiefs win this one, I don't want to say they've got a number one seed locked up, but they'll pretty much have... A number one seed locked up. If the Chargers win, well, you got AFC West chaos, and then there's probably some tiebreakers that we got to figure out, and I don't have the time to do it right now, so I won't do it right now. But Russell Baxter will help us through it all next, right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Joining me right now, as he does each and every week, you can follow him on Twitter at @BaxFootballGuru. You also want to check out his other. Twitter account as well, at NFL underscore vibe, V-I-B-E, fan side, NFL spin zone. My man, Russell Baxter knows it all. Russell, how are you doing, my man? I'm
3: doing well. What
0: a
4: wild, wacky, crazy, use every analogy you, you can. I mean, we saw some crazy stuff last Sunday in the NFL.
0: Yeah, we saw quarterbacks throwing no-look passes. We saw a two-win team knock off the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't even know exactly where I should begin, Russell. But I will. I do know where I should begin, and not that I want to. But the Texans took one on the chin uh, against the Indianapolis Colts, and that is a much improved Colts team. I thought it in Week Four. I thought it in Week Fourteen. I think if the Colts get in the playoffs, they could make life difficult for any team they're going to play, which could be the Texans, which could be the Patriots, could be a lot of teams depending on what happens down the road. Heck, if things. <laughs> If the bottom drops out here in Houston, maybe the Colts step up and win the South. Andrew Luck and that Colts team, I don't know how they didn't score down to Jacksonville-Russell. I I still am baffled by it, but they really found the secret sauce the other day. How dangerous do you think the Indianapolis Colts are as they head down the stretch and potentially into the playoffs?
4: Well, first things first, I can understand where you didn't know when to start um, because you haven't had to start for the last nine, nine weeks. That's true. Okay. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But listen, uh, Andrew Luck, who had a big game obviously against the Texans when the first time they played uh, their offense is much improved. They've also got a defensive rookie of the year candidate Darius Leonard, but the star of that team right now is the quarterback and the off improved offensive line play, which we haven't been able to say that about the Colts offensive line. I was talking with somebody today, not in our business necessarily, but, um, listen, there's been a lot of great, outstanding rookie performances, guys like Saquon Barkley, guys like Baker Mayfield, uh, Lindsay. What Somewhere during when the AP does their voting, John, someone is going to vote for Quentin Nelson. Yep, That's... I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not saying he's going to win, but someone, at least one person will vote for Quentin Nelson. Um, he has made a big difference on that Colts offensive line. And, you know, Frank Wright can tell you something about a quality offensive line paving the way to a championship. Not saying the Colts will do that, but we saw that in Philadelphia last year. Offensive line and offensive line depth was really the key to the Philadelphia Eagles' season.
0: Yep, it absolutely was. I mean, when when Vitai went over to the left side and was able to play that he the way he did, you know, it's pretty amazing. And, and Russell, you bring up this point, and I'll, and I'll I'll take it in that direction. Last year, the Philadelphia Eagles had they had Doug Peterson called the plays. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator. Johnny okay. Filippo was the quarterback's coach. He then goes up to Minnesota as the offensive coordinator. And Russell, he doesn't even make it through the season as Mike Zimmer fired him on Tuesday after the Monday night debacle, if you will, against the Seahawks. I, I, I don't know really what that says about the way things are going in Minnesota other than the offense has sort of, I guess, been the fall guy, uh, apparently, with Mike Zimmer. How do you assess that situation in Minnesota where they paid Kirk Cousins a lot of money, they brought in DeFilippo, now he's gone. Mike Zimmer's talking about running the ball more, they should be running it more. What do you make of the situation in Minnesota?
4: Well, listen, obviously, I, I, I put this on Twitter and I'm sure you saw it. The two numbers that stand out from the NFL this year that I've heard talked about more and retweeted and on social media more than any other two numbers. John has nothing to do with a football score. One of them is 100 million. Yep. And the other one is 84 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. One regards John Gruden. That's what happened with the Raiders. Yep. And and the other regards people very upset in some actions that Kirk Cousins got all that money. But to be fair, you know, I thought the Vikings would be better this year because I thought Kirk Cousins was going to a place where they had a top-notch defense and a running game. Correct. Last year, the Vikings were seventh in the league in running the football, and that was even with Dalvin Cook going down, okay? Mm -hmm. But their offensive line this year has really missed the mark. Dalvin Cook's been banged up. They are 30th in the league in rushing. So I understand. You know, we have seen it with a lot of teams, Green Bay, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, the lack of balance. You know, it's great that all these rule changes are going on and so on, and it's great that quarterbacks are throwing for a lot of yards and and completing a high percentage of passes. But if you don't have the balance and you can't keep your defense off the field, I mean, think about the Vikings this year. Even defensively, they've been better and their ranks are okay, but this is a team that's already given up more points than they did all of last year, given up more offensive touchdowns than they did all of last year. They don't look like a dominating defense. So I think there's a lot of blame to go around. And if you're going to talk about the defense, you have to talk about Zimmer, obviously. Um, it has been a very rough year for the NFL Final Four from a year ago. Only one of them is above 500, and that is the New England Patriots.
0: Yep. Vikings,
4: Jaguars. Jaguars.
0: Oh, Eagles. gosh. Oh, wow. And the Eagles, that's right, defending champions. And I mean it's
4: We got a six and seven, a six, six and one, a four and nine, and a nine and four. That's your final four from a year ago.
0: Russell, if if uh, if you were a betting man and I gave you hundred bucks and you had to go to Vegas and the Seattle Seahawks are gonna pretty much lock up the fifth seed. They're gonna be the the fifth team in the NFC. They're gonna get that first wild card. There are about five or six teams that are within a game of each other. You're talking about the Panthers. You're talking about the Vikings. You're talking about uh, even a team like the New York Giants at five and eight mm-hmm. are not out of this thing. If I gave you 100 bucks and just said you got to go place it on the team you think is going to get that sixth seed in the NFC, which team would you put it on? Which team would you trust the most?
4: Wow. that's you're, Well, listen, you just threw me a curveball for this reason. You use the word trust the most.
0: Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah true. They might be two yeah, different it, things, really.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, who gets in and who you trust may be two totally different things. It has been you know, a year of collapses in the NFC. This was the conference that a year ago, uh, Atlanta was the only team that managed to get back to the playoffs. Okay? Now we've got a last-place Bears team in first place. We've got a, a, a Cowboys team that – you know, on the brink of winning a division. Obviously, the Saints and the Rams are repeated. Don't, there's no question about that. Um, it's hard, it is It is really hard to tell. Um, but I'm going to throw this out here, and I'm sure people won't, won't scratch their heads a little. If the Packers win in Chicago this week, I wouldn't put it past them to somehow sneak in.
0: You know, it's funny you say that, Russell, because that's exactly the team that I thought. That's exactly yeah. the team that I thought of. Was was Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers and the fact that down the stretch of the year, over how many ever years, he has pulled the Packers out of the doldrums. You remember the R-E-L-A-X? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember a few couple of years ago we went to face them when they were right at five hundred, and right. we were like the third win in a row for them, and then they ended up winning like three or four more down the stretch to get into playoffs as well that particular year. So it's I'm and
4: just so I throw just so you understand, John. It's as much a pick as it is an indictment about the way the rest of the conference has played. But it's funny. Do you remember when Aaron Rodgers went through the schedule a couple of weeks ago? Well, we got to beat Arizona, which they didn't, by the way. Right. And we got to beat Atlanta. And then he said something that I know rankled some people. Um, And then we got to go to Chicago where we, he he said, well, we kind of usually win there. Yeah. Well, kind of usually win is exactly what happens with them. They have won in Chicago eight straight. Whoa. I don't even think people realize that.
0: Yeah. Okay. The Bears didn't uh, like it, that at all when bad. you said that.
4: Right. Well, here's the, and here's the thing that I want to just throw out there. It started with the NFC title game back in 2010. That's correct. You will remember they won in Chicago without Aaron Rodgers a year ago.
0: That was Brett Hundley? Yes. Oh my! No gosh. Aaron Rodgers in Chicago. Oh my gosh!
4: So I'm just saying, I understand. And listen, the Bears. I'm not saying they're going to, they're going to do it. I don't know. I wouldn't put past the Packers to pull it off. I'm just saying. Um, and again, it's more of an indictment. Do you trust Carolina, who has the Saints two of the last three weeks and is in the middle of a five game losing streak? Yeah. Okay. Some of the teams near the bottom of their divisions are playing better than some. Tampa Bay could make a case as playing as well as anyone other than the Saints in the NFC South. Yep. Green Bay, I I don't know where to go there. Detroit is unpredictable. Okay. You mentioned the Giants. Are they playing better than Philadelphia and Washington? I would say so. Yes. So it's it's going to be fascinating. I mean, are we going to get. Let me ask you this is the 16th going to be 8 8? Or below 500.
0: Well, I'll tell you this, Russell. If that if that sixth seed is seven and nine, I wouldn't. I I would put my money on the New York Giants because mm-hmm. the way they the way that they have found themselves running the ball, Saquon Barkley, the offensive potency that the Giants can have with Eli throwing the ball to Sterling Shepard, to Odell Beckham mm-hmm. Jr., to Evan Ingram. I said before the year that was the one team that I had my eye on because of that offense. That offense was going to be so powerful if they could stop anybody and play all right on defense. Well, the other day against Washington, they played all right on defense now. Mm-hmm. They're facing Mark Sanchez. But if that right. sixth seed is 7-9, I would put it past the New York Giants to be that sixth team, and what a story that would be.
4: Well, listen, I just actually came up with the really best answer.
0: I would give the six seeds to,
4: to UCF.
0: yeah invite invite him to the NFL playoffs that would be the right way to go Russell (laughs) Thursday night tomorrow night we will have an AFC West battle uh, of two you could argue maybe the two best teams in the AFC and they just reside in the same division I think you could say that they're the two best teams even Mm -hmm. though I would like for it to be the Texans and I think New England fans are like hey don't forget about us we're always there but I think right now The two best teams in the AFC are the L.A. Chargers and the Kansas City Chiefs. And they take on one another. If the Chiefs win, then they pretty much have got a bye locked up. They will have, I think, they'll clinch the AFC West at that point and render the Chargers a wild card team. If the Chargers win, then it becomes all kinds of chaos. But this is the kind of game that I know that the NFL wanted to have on Thursday night. And they've had a few. They had the Saints in Dallas uh, two weeks ago. They've got this one coming up on Thursday night with the Chargers and the Chiefs. This is a heck of a football game. How do you see this one? What do you think are the most important things in this Chargers-Chiefs battle?
4: Well, health is the running back position for the Chargers. Um, you know, as of right now, as we record this, um, we're not sure 100% about Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon. Um, the Chiefs have Tyree Kill a little banged up. Um, they're, they're, listen, the overwhelming factor here is the Chiefs have beaten them nine in a row. Okay, They beat them opening day in Los Angeles when a lot of people were geared up and thinking that, including myself. Um, so, Anthony Lynn, Phillip Rivers, whoever, they have to figure a way to snap this losing streak. Now, I will say this. Um, the Chiefs are coming over off a very tough game in overtime um, against Baltimore. I'm not saying that that swings the difference. But when you play defense like the Chiefs, you're vulnerable. And to me, the thing that's impressed about the Chargers this year and the fact that they've gotten to 10-3 and 3, is they did most of that without Joey Boza. Yep. And then as of late, they've done some of that without Melvin Gordon. So they're finding ways to get other people to contribute. And, again, this is a I don't want to say a milestone game, but this is one of those program-changing games for the chargers it's anthony lynn's second season um my goodness they were nine and three to close out weather, 19 and six in their last 25 games um after going zero and four last year so if not now when if you're the chargers but i agree with you i think these are the two best teams in the afc just for totally different reasons
0: you want to follow him on twitter at backs football guru you also want to follow at nfl underscore vibe Follow him on Fan Side and NFL Spin Zone. A man knows it all, and you just heard why. Russell, you are the best, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me. You got it. It's always fun stuff to connect with our good friend Russell Baxter. Fun, like our choose fun moment of the week, is brought to you by Carnival. Don't forget to enter for your chance to win a cruise every week if the Texans catch a touchdown. Carnival, the official cruise line of the Houston Texans. Choose fun. Now, Sunday was not fun. There were not too many fun moments in that particular game. But J.J. Watt got his 12th sack of the year. That, to me, was fun. It will be our Choose Fun Moment of the Week is brought to you by Carnival.
2: First down at the Texans, 38, Luck under center. Luck fakes the handoff. Here's Watt, and he buries Luck back at the 47-yard line.
0: 12-and-a-half sacks for J.J. Watt. No one saw it coming. Oh, he's been banged up for two years. I say bully on that. The man has been fantastic all year long, and he's going to be key for this defense down the stretch. No question about that. All right, we're through with the first hour of the show. When we start off our second hour of the show, we're going to catch up with the men behind the mics. Of course, you know Mark Vandermeer for the Texans. For the Jets, if you follow college football, you know the name Bob Weschusen. If you follow Jets football, you know the name Bob Weschusen. Well, they're one and the same. The same guy that calls games for ESPN, college football, is Bob Shoesen. The guy who calls play-by-play for the New York Jets is the same guy. We'll talk with him next right here on Texans All Access. We are getting near the end of the football season, but we're also getting near the end of the first semester. For a lot of school teachers out there, and third and fourth grade teachers, I've got, I got something for you. How about a little Texas football in your classroom? You want to do that? Sounds good. All right. Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills, the video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to houstontexanscom slash Toro's Drills to learn more. Be a third and fourth grade teacher. That's tough, man. That is tough. And anything that a teacher can do to eat up innings, like a video series that helps with math, especially when you bring in football. ha. <laughs> You got to do it. HoustonTexans.com slash Toros Matros, courtesy of our friends at Conoco Phillips. Welcome back to the second hour of the program, and it's time to go behind the mics with Mark Vandermeer each and every week. He catches up with the play-by-play voice in the booth next to him, and this week it'll be a guy that you hear a lot, especially if you follow college football, because you hear him do a game on college football each and every Saturday, and then he's doing the Jets game each and every Sunday, and it's Bob Shoes
2: He joined Mark earlier today. Bob, tell me something. I know you've had some good seasons, but this is one of the more difficult ones. How do you characterize what the Jets are going through in 2018? Uh, They are dealing with a rookie quarterback and that growth process.
5: Uh, He was hurt for a month, so that kind of stunted the growth process. But, you know, they have $100 million of cap space available next year, and the reason it's available next year is because they didn't spend it this year. So this is still the rebuild. You know, they kind of tore it all down to the stud last year with the idea that they were going to get a quarterback. They got the quarterback, and now they need to supplement the quarterback with just better talent next year. So they're in a rebuild. Um, whether or not the coach or even the general manager are going to be allowed to stay on and see the rebuild through remains to be seen, but I just, you know, I wasn't expecting them to win more than five or six games this year. They've got four wins so far. I, for their talent level, I think that's probably about right.
2: Now, what about the game against the Buffalo Bills and the way they're playing overall, the Jets? We've seen some good games and some games that obviously needed work. What about the effort level you're seeing at this stage of the year out of the men wearing green?
5: Well, they, they needed that because three weeks ago they played the Bills at home and they lost 41-10. to 10. To a team that couldn't score a touchdown on an empty field in previous weeks. So you know, so much I think of the job that Todd Bowles has done or will be judged by this year isn't even so much wins and losses, but are they passing the eye test? Does it look like the arrows pointing up? Is the quarterback developing? You know, are there young players playing well? And when you have an effort like that, I mean those are the kind of games that get a coach fired. Well, the way they played, especially in the fourth quarter this past Sunday, those are the kinds of games that convince ownership that maybe the coach does have, you know, the, the arrow pointing up. And you know, this was a team that was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs going into this last weekend. So they theoretically, in terms of at least the uh, you know the, the postseason or any ramifications this year, have nothing to play for. And yet, down by two scores in the second half, they came back on the road and won. So that definitely said something about, from an effort-level standpoint, what these players still, you know, are doing in support of the coach and the coaching staff.
2: Bob was Shoes and Voice of the New York Jets joining us on Texans Radio. Bob, what about what we're seeing from Sam Darnold this year, his development? Where is he at? Where do you think he's headed?
5: Well, the DNA of what you need to see for a really, really good long-term starting quarterback in the NFL is all there. Um, At some point this season, whether it be throwing the deep ball, throwing with anticipation, going through your progressions, making a play on the move, he had a great 50-yard scramble touchdown against Buffalo this past weekend. Every one of those things that you want to see, at some point this year you've seen it. And I think that's the most important thing. So he checks every box as a guy that can play quarterback in the NFL for over a decade. Their job now is to give him better guys to play with. That, that's really what it is.
2: Bob, the Texans' coaches, the players are all raving about Jamal Adams. Tell me about him in the secondary.
5: He's great. I mean, he is the definition of an impact player. He, he is the energizer bunny. I mean, when you, when you watch Jamal Adams play, he literally never stops. His motor is, you know, is probably the best any player in the NFL. He's just constant motion. So. He is really fun to watch. He makes at least three or four impact plays a game.
2: Give me a player or two that no one seems to be talking about nationally, outside of the market, that you think the Texans fans should keep their eyes on.
5: Well, I mean, for the Jets, you hate to say it, but their place kicker is putting up, like, historic numbers. Uh, Jason Myers, who they got off the scrap heap back in training camp, wasn't even part of their training camp kicking battle. Um you know, has been like 95% this year. He makes everything. Um, so whatever they've needed, if it, if it comes down to needing a clutch field goal, then the Jets would probably pick their kicker over any kicker in the NFL. Um, and, and I would say the other guy that may or may not play this weekend, I'm not sure, but a guy that when he's been in the lineup, is a really good, solid possession receiver is Quincy Anunla, who was a sixth-round pick out of Nebraska, kind of an afterthought, but has made himself into a really good
2: player. Bob, historically, Joe Namath. Everybody knows him, of course. Who's the second most popular jet in New York historically, other than Namath, Namath? and I guess I'm right in saying Namath has to be number one. But correct me if I'm wrong.
5: Yeah, no. I mean, he's if you're doing the Jets Mount Rushmore, he's George Washington. You know, he's the he's definitely the guy on you know on the masthead. Um. Good question. I, I probably, from a more contemporary standpoint, it would be Joe Klecka. That's what I would think. He mm-hmm. was all pro with three different positions, the only guy ever to do that on the defensive line uh, in NFL history. So I would say if there's one player that isn't in the Hall of Fame, that a fan base really rallies around and believes ought to be in the Hall of Fame, it's Jets fans with Joe Klecka.
2: Bob Weschuzen joining us, voice of the New York Jets. Bob, we know you do college football and college basketball. You're one of these guys who works pretty much around the clock at this stuff. So give me a story of the tightest connection you've ever had trying to make it to a Jet game to do the play-by-play.
5: Wow. I had a game a few years ago in Louisville where I had to get on the last flight of the night out of Louisville in order to get to Atlanta to then connect to. I forget where the Jets were, but I know I had to get to a connection out of Louisville. And Louisville was playing North Carolina, and the game went like four hours and 15 minutes. We were inside a cop car being driven to the airport. Not only were we given a police escort, thank God, but the guy actually put us in his state trooper car. (laughs) And as we pulled out of the Louisville parking lot, train track crossing bars went down, and a freight train started to go by. (laughs) And we sat in the car for a solid 10 or 15 minutes while this, like, 900-car freight train went by. And uh, I think we got to the airport at
2: 7.30 for a 7.40 flight and made it. Ouch. That was fun. Bob, college football, what would you do to change it, if anything? Because to me, it runs long. I might put the NFL clock in there. How do you feel about the way the game is formatted?
5: I've been saying that for years. I think the dumbest rule in sports, in any sport, not just in college football, the most useless rule in any sport is stopping the clock after every first down in college football. That adds a half hour to the game. If you would just roll the clock after Tuesday to first down. Now, I certainly understand that there is, with no two-minute warning, kind of a clock management element to stopping the clock after first downs. To me, either stop it after first downs inside of the last two minutes or maybe inside of the last three or four minutes even of each half. And then a team that's running a two-minute drill could utilize the the rule then when you actually are trying to run up and run another play um, and, and save time. But, you know, when a guy catches like a 10-yard out uh, and gets tackled like, you know, nine seconds into the game for a first down and the clock stops, that's just adding to the length of the game uselessly. So... I mean, that would be the number one thing I would change. And it's so hypocritical from a player safety standpoint, too. Yep. So we're told over and over again that we can't have an extra round of playoffs or we can't extend the, late, uh, the season uh, any more than the players already are stretched out. Now in college football, you know, the CTE argument, uh, you know, these guys play so, well, Then reduce the number of plays that they play. You know, why have four-hour games where teams are running 100 plays in a game? The NFL games have 65, 70 plays a game on offense, and it's a great sport, and it's a great watch, and the game's over in three hours, three hours and ten minutes. Why do we need four-hour games with, you know, 190 plays run between the two teams? It's ridiculous, and
2: to me, it's completely and totally eliminated if you just roll the clock after a team picks up a first down. You're preaching to the choir on that one. I know you're doing a game at the Palestra this week, and I love that environment for college basketball. In fact, I'm so old school, I think the Atlantic 10 should never have left the Palestra in the first place for their tournament. But tell me, what's your favorite environment in college basketball? You get to see a lot of places.
5: Uh, It's hard to beat Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas. I mean, that place is just, Mm -hmm. you know, Duke obviously is amazing. Cameron is everything that anybody would think it would be if they haven't been there. And there are some other great places in the Big Ten, like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Indiana. I mean, those places are all great. But uh, but Allen Fieldhouse at Kansas for a big Kansas home game is probably about as good as it gets.
2: I'm with you on that one. I mean, the one time I was there, I couldn't even hear myself speak. It was that great. great. So, And that's a good thing, actually, in sports. Bob, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you on Saturday at the Meadowlands. You got it, Mark. Now y'all know me. I watch as much NFL films as
0: humanly possible, so I love the segments with Mark and the voice on the other side. And when I hear Bob with shoes, I've heard that voice so often with the Jets, but I hear it every Saturday with college football. So hearing that voice again, kind of closed my eyes and seemed like, oh wow, this is re- this is really cool going up and taking on the Jets. Been up there a few times over the years, uh, not since I've been on the sidelines I think 2012 20 I'm trying to think 2012 when the Texans were going good that was the Matt Slauson Brian Cushing game unfortunately boy that was that was a tough one. Ooh, that was a tough one coming off such a great 2011 season everybody and then Brian Cushing got kneecapped illegally by Matt Slauson but I digress and then faced him in 2015 so I guess 12 15 yeah every Every three years it's been, but I remember going. Go, I remember the Texans going up there in 2010 because I was on my way to Florida for I think it was Thanksgiving, in around Thanksgiving. So I was going to Florida. I remember listening to the entire game the entire way. And Mark Sanchez, oh man, Mark Sanchez 2010 was was okay, viable. Mark Sanchez 2018, he, not so much. So haven't been up there to face the Jets. Since 2012. So it's been six years, but we went up there in 2014 to face the Giants. So at least we've been at MetLife Stadium. Hopefully, this one goes a little better than that one did. And of course, everybody's asking about the weather. What's the weather going to be like? And then I heard Deshaun get asked this. And I'm like, y'all do know Deshaun went and played at Clemson, which is in South Carolina, which just had a massive winter storm recently, right? And that's been the case. I lived in the Carolinas, I lived in North Carolina, I've seen weather. Deshaun's seen weather. He played in a monsoon against Notre Dame in 2015 at home. It has happened before. It just It's kind of mind-boggling, the weather. But it's going to be 50 and maybe raining. Maybe. Now, the wind is going to be a factor, but the wind in the third quarter against Denver, the wind is not going to be as bad as that. That wind in the third quarter at Denver was unbelievable. There was stuff flying everywhere. The wind might be about the same. If it's a little worse, it's not that much worse. So it's not as if the Texans haven't played in it before, but, you know, when you go up to the northeast, everybody, oh, the weather, the weather. Look, I've lived up there for four years going to Brown, and and Providence is even further than New York. Yeah, it gets cold. It gets tough. But we've seen days like that here. You've played on the road and things like that, especially if you're on the – if you're on the eastern seaboard, if you're in South Carolina, North Carolina, man, you've played in weather. You've done it before. It's no big deal. You just sack up and keep going. You're an NFL player. You got a little pop warning. You're like, hanging in the ball, coach. No, you're an NFL player. This is what you're supposed to do, and that's what the Texans will do on Sunday. Big thanks to Bob Wischusen for joining us for our Men Behind the Mics segment. Coming up, speaking of Men Behind the Mics, the man behind the mic for your Texans is Mark Vandermeer. He's going to join me and talk about this one next right here in Texas All Access. Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John
2: Harris. Joining me right now, Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Johnny. Short week. I like this after a loss, especially. Just get right back on the horse. You know what I'm saying?
0: You like this Planet Saturday stuff?
2: I I do on occasion. I mean, maybe they don't like it, but I like it. You know, what's the big thing? Like, when... If this were a Thursday game, the big narrative would be, well, you want to play right away to get that losing taste (laughs) out of your mouth. You know, you have to look at the positives in anything, and that's the positive, that you get to play a little bit sooner and try to get that winning feeling back because it's an addictive feeling, isn't it? Like nine games in a row it felt so good, and then I'm not saying I forgot what it was like to lose because your memory comes back just like that. But it was such a treat all throughout the streak, and I want to get back on another one, please. Yeah,
0: no, I, I'm with you on that. Last time in MetLife Stadium against the Jets. Yes. What year?
2: 2012.
0: What do you remember about that night?
2: Cushing getting hurt yeah. is the big one, but I also remember an early touchdown pass to Owen Daniels ah, uh, dude, from Schaub on a bootleg.
0: I Yeah, it's funny. Those are the two things that stand out. Yeah. When, when Cushing gets hurt, mm-hmm. what... What was your prevailing thought at that point?
2: I, I thought, this is horrible. What are you going to do? Let's just see what happens the rest of the game. You know, when, yeah. in, As you know, in the course of a game, you're thinking, well, you're still in the heat of battle there, really. You know, We're doing our job. We're announcing the game. Yeah. You're going play to play, literally. And you really don't have much time to react to it emotionally, if you will. But I, I know that Brian's from Bergen Catholic High School, which is not far from where my dad lives in yep. New Jersey. And I just know a lot about that area, and I'm just – I knew how important it was for him to come back to that area and play in that building. And that year in particular, I think if Cushing doesn't get hurt that year, Johnny, it might even be different down the stretch. I'm I saying think they so beat too. the Patriots, but I think it's closer. They'll be able to make more plays. I really feel like losing D'Amico in 2010, losing Brian in 2012, those were big losses for this football team.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I remember when he got hurt. And, I mean, I was so mad at Matt Slauson. I was so mad. I, I just felt yeah. like... After the trip to Denver in twenty twelve, I felt like this team can beat anybody. Yeah. This team can beat anybody, yep. anywhere, anytime. And here they are pretty much I don't say dominating the Jets, but they're take they're making pretty quick work and I see him down in the turf and I just remember thinking, this yep. this is gonna have This is going to have a ripple effect down the road, and I think you're right. I think it caught up to them against teams like the Patriots and then down the stretch of the season when they could have gotten a bye and lost a few of those games. I mean, that was – it was just such a gut punch. And the one I think of mostly was um, the – why am I drawing a blank on the – The Vikings. Yeah. The Vikings won in 2012 here. Was that the Christian Potter game? Yeah. I just feel like Cushing – I don't know the right way of saying this. That's a
2: great point right there. I just feel like
0: Cushing would not have allowed that to happen.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Especially then, it was still relatively early. Watt was monstrous that year. Yeah, he was great. But Cushing was the heart and soul kind of leader of that side of the football still. A veteran and boy, they could have done a lot of things. You know, it's funny. when It's making me think about what 2011 might have been if Mario hadn't gotten hurt. Of course, the biggest yeah. was shot oh, that wow. year, but Mario got hurt in Week 5, and they still ended up being the second-best defense in the league, yardage-wise. What would they have done with Mario Williams?
0: Yeah. Incredible.
2: Just, so you, you think about that. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of things to consider here, but it is what it is. And and I just remember that night. It was a primetime game. It was their fifth game of the year, and the fact that they won it so convincingly, said to the world all right they're here you know Watt had a big play or two at the end as I recall and it was good to beat the Jets because the Jets had that '09 9 opener here with Sanchez I was oh. so upset and then in 2010 Sanchez to was it Santonio Holmes uh, deep right. in the last 30 seconds of the game I the mean, back that was corner of the end zone. awful awful finish there so to beat them at the Meadowlands was really gratifying at the time despite the loss of Cushing
0: I remember that 2010 game I remember driving from here to Florida that was I think coming up on Thanksgiving week if I remember correctly because we were going to Florida and we were getting away for for Thanksgiving and so I listened I listened to the entire entire game and I'll never forget you. I never forget hearing you with that touchdown call because it was like the Texans had been ahead that whole entire game in 2010 and I thought man the the, the defense is not gonna blow one today that's not gonna and then it
2: happened and they did. I was like uh-huh. You know, it's funny because my kid was asking me about that year, and I said they should have. Look, I can't say they should have gone ten and six or eleven and five, but three more wins is not too much to ask no, for. No. When you look at the, and I'm not, you're not going to win all of them. You're not going to win all of them. But when you look at the close losses to the Chargers, Jags, Jets, Ravens, Broncos. Oh, here's why he asked because he's doing a book report on Tim Tebow's book. <laughs> And Tebow, who started against the Texans for the Broncos that year and threw for 300 yards <laughs> on up. that defense. He did Tebow. a report on Tebow's yes. book. Yes, he did.
0: I love your son. <laughs> Isn't it great? He's, that's the best thing ever. That is that is a totally Johnny Harris in middle school kind yeah. of move. <laughs> that is. I mean, we used to have to – <laughs> I'll tell you one real quick. I'll never forget this for some reason. I don't know why it was current events in 7th grade 7th grade social studies it was current mm-hmm. events and we had to bring in an article from the paper and then oh, talk no. about the current event so i brought in <laughs> i brought in the article of us winning the little league uh, all-star championship and going on to the state tournament Smooth. where i had a home run and i had a lot of those guys on the team that were in that classroom there i started into it, and they're like oh yeah keep going keep <laughs> <laughs> they told me keep going. That yeah, yeah, I don't know if yourself would have pulled that off, but I'm I'm proud of him with the Tim Tebow, and then Tim Tebow ended up as a Jet. I I wish, I wish we played the Jets more often. I not that we, you know, I I like the trips to New York. We've only been there since 2014, right? And really, you know, we haven't been back to play the Jets since 2012. But
2: I don't know, going to New York this time of year. Oh, wow. I, I you know I'm excited you, about that part. Yeah, it's funny we talk about this from time to time. The Texans being such a young team, the youngest team in the league, when you play some of the storied franchises. Now the Jets are an AFL team, and they won that Super Bowl against the Baltimore Colts and everything. McLean told a story this morning on six ten about Kenny Stabler and the Oilers going to Shea Stadium to play, and and I have to fa- I fact checked him, and I have to straighten him out on this tomorrow night. Richard Todd did play for the Jets. He thought Todd was on IR, but Todd, who's whose name is replacement yeah. in that franchise's history. Uh, was playing. So apparently Todd and Stabler, both Alabama guys, went out the night before. And by went out the night, like went out all night and all morning, and, you know, Stabler got to the team meal. He was really sick. But he threw four TDs and four picks. (laughs) <laughs> and they lost a close game. Todd did not have good numbers. But it's just, the, that kind of stuff, I mean, it's not the going out thing. It's just Richard Todd, Kenny Stabler, Shea Stadium. I just love the history of this oh. league, and it's fun to think about. Now you're at the Meadowlands, and this is the second Meadowlands stadium, and I still think somehow, way, the Jets should be playing on Long Island, but that's just me. Yeah, I'm with
0: you. I wish the Jets were playing on Long Island. I yep. wish the Giants were playing in Yankee Stadium. They both stadium, play in New but...
2: Jersey. It's ridiculous, but never mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not, I mean. I think that to me, the Giants have become synonymous with New Jersey. The Jets, yeah. not as much. Like I always, yep. I always feel like the Jets are still on Long They're Island. they lost I've, at
2: sea to me. They, yeah. they really don't belong in New Jersey. And remember, the rumor it was more than rumors. They're trying to get it done—a stadium on the west side of Manhattan, yeah, right on the water. Mm-hmm. That, and I know it would have been a big mess traffic-wise. I don't know how <sighs> you pull that off in New York, but if they could have pulled that off, think about a closed-roof stadium on the west side of Manhattan, and you could have Final oh. Fours in there. And the, the kind of athletic events you could have in there, it would, would be have, monumental. You wouldn't have wanted to go anywhere else. Yeah. You
0: would not have wanted you'd, to you'd go have, anywhere it else. It would be
2: in the Super Bowl rotation. It would be something else.
0: I mean, it would be it would be akin to the Big East Tournament times 10. It, the Big East
2: Tournament. You was... could build a convention center and, and just build up that whole west side. Oh, now, look, God. I know New York hardly needs the economic help, okay? It's but New still. York. But that would have been cool. Beat the Jets, take care of business. When I when I look at this Jets
0: team, Mark, and I don't know if you see the same. Mm-hmm. I try to figure out a way that the Jets can beat the Texans outright, and I and I can't see it. I mean, I I mean I don't rare I rarely ever say that, but I just don't see it. Well, I, I'll give you running the running backs
2: flying recipe, but I'll give you
0: <laughs> what I. Th- this is to me the only recipe, and that is we. Spit the ball out yep. on the turf yep. all game long, That's and that gives them opportunities. That's
2: it. If you let them hang around, and here's the other thing. You're, you're just not playing well. Maybe there's one turf. Maybe you're minus one in the margin. They got a short field. They scored. Somehow you're just having a bad day offensively and whatever, and you let them hang around. That's when one play can get it done. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, a fumble. Oh, my gosh, uh, you know maybe a pick or something, or – they hit on a big pass play where it's like somebody just fell down or whatever, or whatever. They made a play. They made a nice play. I I was watching, I'm sure you've watched tons of Darnold. He's not inept. You know, Darnold can make some plays for you, and if he's as good as people think, he's going to get better every week. Sure. And you hope he doesn't get better against your defense. This defense should be able to punish him some, but you cannot take this one for granted, and I know they're not. Now, it's funny. I asked Kylie Wong about this last night at the fuddruckers Texans Players Show. Do we, the outsiders, put too much into, oh, you lost this week, so you'll be on your toes the next week, versus, oh, you're winning and you're fat and happy, versus, uh, oh, well, maybe you go into a game lightly. He said there's not really a whole lot to that. No. It's really you're just not playing as well as you should that given week. I And, think, and he said emotion carries you for a few plays, but after a while, it tends to even out. I think,
0: to me, what I've realized about the NFL is it really has – I mean, I think there's – you're flat, you've got no juice, you got no energy, you need a little crowd. I, I think there's some of that, but I think it comes down to matchups. I, yeah. I mean, I think that's what it comes down to. If you have if you have a liability and the other team has an asset and those two are going against one another, you'll lose. There are just some teams you don't match up with. There are some players you don't match up with. Sign T.Y. Hilton. There are just some players you don't match up with well. There are some teams you don't match up with well. I look at the Jets and I think, okay, Robbie Anderson can run. Robbie Anderson is a poor man's Will Fuller. Quincy Anua, solid, but should, up. shouldn't beat you. Should not beat you. Running game, should not beat you. There's not a Pro Bowler on the offensive line going against Pro Bowl defensive linemen. They should not beat you. But if you spit the bid and put the ball in the turf, or you don't capitalize down in the red zone, you know how the Jets, the Jets 13 points against the Bills in the first half. Long return, got got the ball inside the 40-yard line, kicked a field goal. Mm-hmm. A fumble by Josh Allen. Didn't go anywhere, but kicked the field goal. Long return inside the 10-yard line, all the way down the field, got tackled at the 10. Two plays later, Darnold threw a touchdown, 13 points. That's
2: how they got their I guess special points. teams is going to be a big focus based on these long returns you keep talking about. Yes,
0: Andre Roberts has got to be a focus. If you force Darnell to have to go, I think Darnell's going to improve. I mean, he was my number one quarterback on the board. It was him that Baker um, – And I thought Darnold and, you know, there are guys in this building that spent time with the Jets that did a lot of studying of Sam Darnold. They loved him, and for good reason. But he's still a rookie, and he doesn't have a lot of help around him. So if you keep him in the well and keep him from dancing and making plays, then you got an opportunity. But if you start letting him get creative, and he pulls off one of those late-in-the-season Tebow kind of moments, then you're in trouble.
2: Well, that's the thing. And by the way, that Tebow game, I'll just never forget that, Mile High and... Oh, late interception by the Texans. Oh, just awful. Oh, he walks over to the sideline and he's like, nobody's running a ball
0: but me. I was like, oh, man, that stinks.
2: That, uh, that season, by the way, to finish that point, should have had three more wins. Very conservatively yeah. should have had another winning season as they did the year before. But that's that. That's all I'm going to say about that.
0: Yeah, you know where that, yeah, 2010, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see that. there's so many close games there that could have gone the other way. Defense just wasn't good enough. Defense better be good enough on, on Saturday, that's for sure. So
2: the interview you're playing tonight, Bob Weschusen with the uh, Jets, it's tonight, right? Correct. You know, asking him about who's the second most popular all-time Jet Ooh. was not an easy answer for him. He's the voice of the Jets. I mean, it's not – and I guess it's tough for most franchises. You know, who's the most popular Texan? Well, it's Watt or Andre Johnson. So you have to make a decision there, and Andre's retired, so you know his career has been put to bed. What? Who knows what happens? I mean, he's having a great year here. Yeah, I so. mean,
0: you know, you got others that are kind of adding to it. Hop and and uh, Deshaun yeah, and Deshaun and Clowney yeah. and there's some. But, but,
2: it, but name it is obviously number one with the Jets, and then you go from there, and it's not easy. You know, he, he Gaston he talked about Klecko. Clec- I can see Klecko. Klecko's big, and Klecko's kind of stayed around. Gas- G- Gaston is kind of a freak show. Yeah, but he's a fun freak show, man. He was mar- Was he married or just going out with Brigitte Nielsen, who also <gasps> was with still Sylvester Stallone? Have you seen Creed 2 Don't tell me anything. Do not. I have not seen <laughs> You've seen it. I want to see it with my son. And you know what? I hey, saw it with my son. what I discovered. And he he loved I'm, it. He loved it. You know, with small children, you don't get to the movies much, as know. you know. Mm-hmm. So movies these days... The, you know, A Star is Born. It was gone in like two weeks, and it's a massive hit movie. I wanted to go see it.
0: We just got to go to the AFC Championship game so we travel somewhere so you can see it on a plane. All
2: right, that'd be nice. That would be yeah, very well, nice. first you got to make the playoffs, though. Oh, that's true. We got <laughs> so right, to take care of one thing I want to go as a as a participant, <laughs> not as a spectator. <laughs> Mark, appreciate it. Thanks, Johnny. Coming up next, it's our good buddy Andre
0: Ware right here on Texas mm-hmm. All Access. Let's close it down tonight with our good friend Andre Ware. Mark, had a chance to catch up with him earlier today?
2: Joining us right now is Andre Ware. And, Dre, it's a weird time of year because I would imagine for you, you're doing college football every weekend, but this time of year you don't exactly slow down, but it becomes bowl season. What bowls are you doing, and, and how do you approach those games versus regular season games doing what you do as an analyst?
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's that kind of that time of year where you, you almost get actually a little busier uh, when bowl games, especially midweek bowl games, uh, start to take place and you get uh, assigned to a couple of those. I've got the Frisco Bowl up in, uh, in Frisco, Texas, where uh, San Diego State will play Ohio. And then the very next week on a Wednesday night in Arizona, the Cheez-It, which is Cal and TCU. So those two uh coming up in conjunction to uh to texans travel and and so on and so forth, so I'll do a series of games in a in a in a in a very limited a couple- limited couple of days so to speak so it uh, it takes an extra a little bit extra concentration
2: What is your memory of bowl time? I know that the heisman year you guys couldn't go to a bowl and by the way, side right. note here. We were talking to Bill, Bill O'Brien about this as well. You know, when he was at Penn State, they couldn't go to a bowl. And he said, why punish those kids for something they had nothing to do with? And the same could apply to your team. You guys had nothing to do with the infractions, coaching, players, everything, yet you had to suffer the brunt of the punishment.
3: Yeah, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I actually met the guy who uh, who put us on probation for something that happened when most of us were in fourth and fifth grade. And so we served the brunt of that uh, that that penalty by not being able to go to a bowl game that year. And, and uh, so the Heisman season in itself, the closer we got towards the end of the season, kind of became our de facto bowl game. And uh, you could tell guys were playing harder. Um, that's why it means so much to all of us, not just myself, but all of us as a team, because uh, the effort level went up. Uh, the conversation started to really uh, energize itself, and, and ultimately we, uh, we, we, we pulled it off. And so it was, it was quite something. It had never been won by a player that was on probation, um, and uh, I don't think it'll ever be done again. So it's something kind of unique, and in the history books, that, that 1989 team we will all share in forever.
2: I'm looking at the 88-team schedule, and I know we're just messing around here, but it's the holiday season and we're having some fun today. This schedule, Dre, I mean, if the Cougs could play a schedule like this today, my goodness, you know, Missouri, Baylor, Aggies, Arkansas, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech. I I mean, it's loaded, and you guys had a phenomenal record. What, you only lost twice that year?
3: Yeah, and uh, those two, we we needed that season in 89, we we needed – the ball maybe one more time against Arkansas. We lost forty-six thirty-nine. Needed one more possession in that game, and then at AM we had our chances. We lost seventeen thirteen. It was probably the lowest game that I was ever a part of while I was at at the University of Houston. But uh, we we uh, we put one on the ground a couple of times going in that ultimately uh, won the game at uh, at Kyle Field for for the Aggies. So it was yeah. It was we had to lace them up every single Saturday when uh, there were no off weeks even non conference games we played uh, Arizona State and uh, and teams of that and you know of that magnitude that year so uh, we we uh, we challenged ourselves and we had a very talented football team across the board that we were willing to go play anybody anywhere
2: One more college football one for you as we're getting ready for the Academy Sports and Outdoors Texas Bowl here December 27th with Vanderbilt and Baylor. Uh, That bowl game in 88, you play Rice on November 26th and beat them. Then you're playing in the Aloha Bowl, which is a month later. What is it like when there's a month between games and you have to handle that as an athlete, the coaching staff, because all these schools are going through that right now. And, of course, Baylor and Vanderbilt among them getting ready to play here.
3: Well, it kind of gets you out of rhythm, Mark, because you get, as a, as a player, and especially as a quarterback, you get in a routine. And once the routine is broken, it's hard to get back in that routine. That's why you have heard me many times say I don't like bye weeks because when a team is playing well, uh, people say, oh, well, we need to get healthy. But it takes you out of your routine. And that 15 days of practice and nobody else, you're not seeing another uniform that that's tough to come back from. And then it's why I think offenses usually take a while to get going in bowl games because you haven't really played or practiced at a speed that uh, simulates what you're going to face the next week or that you faced for 12 weeks in a row or 13 weeks in a row. It's a different element to it. So offenses tend to struggle a little bit. Defenses tend to dominate early in bowl games and, and so on and so forth. So I I I, uh, I wish they would speed him up. I think that uh, with that break in between, you could squeeze in another game or so and move that sucker to six to eight teams without uh, without any problem. Andre, it's not like or Sam... Six to, six to eight playoff teams, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I got you. And I think you have a lot of agreement there. Um, Sam Darnold, they beat the Bills, the Jets did last week. It's not like he lit it up, but he made plays to win the game. They came from behind to do it. What do you think the Texans are seeing here in Sam Darnold Saturday afternoon at the Meadowlands?
3: Well, you know, you, you've you got a guy that has some mobility, but not a lot. So it's not like you're, you know, you're facing the likes of an Andrew Luck. He moves similarly, but not quite as well as Andrew does. The, the, he completed a high percentage last week to uh, to help his team pull out one against Buffalo. They put 27 points on the board. They've been able to score points with the exception of the New England game and the first game against Buffalo, they've, they've been able to put some points on the board. So it's a dangerous team in that regard, and with him as as their leader, as a rookie starter, uh, he's had his bumps and bruises, 12 touchdowns to 15 interceptions, uh, about mid-50s in terms of completion percentage. Where you can't allow the, the Jets to get going is in the running game with a guy like Isaiah Crowell or Elijah M- uh, McGuire, where they give him Uh, some comfort in being able to do something and take some pressure off of a rookie quarterback. You want to make sure that you keep all the pressure on his shoulders. And at some point he starts to feel it throughout the game.
2: The Texans clearly didn't run the ball well against the Colts and they got to get back to that. I mean, that's, what's really been carrying them or one of the things that's been carrying them during this streak, third in the league, what's it going to take to do better in that department?
3: Well, I think it's a healthy uh, Zach Fulton, to be quite honest. You know, I I talk a lot about uh, chemistry and especially chemistry on an offensive line, and it just kind of goes to show you just how important one-fifth of an offensive line is. And and with him out of the lineup, they weren't able to move and control the line of scrimmage. And uh, all of a sudden, the Colts, who were only giving up you know, a little bit over 100 yards on the ground, uh, they were able to kind of shut the Texans down in that that regard. Now, they're still the third-best rushing offensive attack in the NFL, so uh, it's not like they can't re-energize, rejuvenate themselves, and get this going against the Colts, who give up about a little over 130 yards on the ground. You feel like against a 3-4 defense, you should be able to run the football against that that type of front, it creates a lot of good blocking angles for the offensive line and the tight ends and such a, and so on and so forth. So I feel good about their chances to run the football. I think they're going to have to uh, when you factor in the elements into uh, to the game in New York, being outdoors and being a little bit chilly and who knows what else you're going to get. I think there's rain in the forecast. So the running game itself is, is going to be of of extreme importance.
2: All right, the Cowboys are playing the Colts this week. Who do you got? Yeah. What do you think of this matchup? Who? Uh,
3: this that's going to be a good football t- football game because both teams are playing well right now. Um, that game's in Indianapolis. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I would favor the Colts only for that reason—that it's in Indianapolis, it's on the road, and uh, and and defensively they looked last week like they turned the corner with some good young players that uh, that really look good on that side of the ball, a healthy Andrew Luck that got somewhat of a running game. Uh, so I, I think they can control the ball, uh, not allow a guy, you know, the, the receivers of Dallas to get over the top of Mari Cooper and, and the likes, and then, and, and then just kind of keep it close and win the game at the end. Uh, when it comes down to a game like that, I'm going to choose Andrew Luck in a close ball game because he's been there a few more times than Dak Prescott but Dallas is on a roll that that game really could go either way but I would favor the Colts in a, in a close one being at home
2: I was afraid you'd say that well the Giants destroyed whatever was left of Washington last week <laughs> and they'll have the Titans at the Meadowlands 24 hours after the Texans play the Jets in that building so what do you think of Titans Giants in New York
3: uh the way that the uh titans were able to run the football um i i, I kind of like what they what they were able to do yeah. Derrick henry can you duplicate that i don't think it'll be quite that number but it, they'll they will have some success running the football and uh the giants are just kind of playing the spoiler role right now uh not a whole lot to play for um i, I like the titans going on the road in new york they you know it's cold in nashville right now and They've gotten an opportunity to practice outdoors or or
2: this week. So
3: uh, I kind of like their chances uh, to remain in it and alive and and beating the Giants. All
2: right, I got one more for you. I'm going to make you commissioner of the UIL, and you have (laughs) full power, full absolute power, Dre. I don't want to get you in trouble here, but are there too many weeks of playoffs? Would you rather see a couple of more regular season games for all these high school teams and fewer teams in the playoffs, or is it good the way it is where you have to win, what is it, six games to win a championship? I, I
3: hate the way it is right now, Okay, to be good. quite honest. I, I absolutely can't stand it. So you're not going to give me in any trouble there. When I was in high school, if you didn't win your district, you didn't make the playoffs. There was one team that went. I can even see two teams, but when you go four deep. You've you saturated it. It's it, it's of no interest to me to see a team win two district games, go two and eight, and then get in the playoffs. I mean, at that point, you're telling me it's about money more so than it is the health and the well-being and the competition of these high school kids. And so I, I can't stand having the big 5A, little 5A, big 6A, little 6A. I can't stand all that. If you're 5A, you're 5A. If you're 6A, you're 6A. Let's go play. We had 1,275 students in my high school when we were 5A. We were the smallest 5A high school in the state of Texas, yet we could go play against anybody, anybody in the state and feel pretty good about our chances. So don't give me this enrollment here. Uh, This school has more uh, players and a bigger pool to choose from. It might be a bigger pool, but it may not be as good a player as they have somewhere else. So I, I would uh, I would scale that thing back. If you made me commissioner of the UIL, I would certainly scale back, make it more competitive, and you certainly wouldn't see the playoffs with with a two game uh, two game season in terms of the winning column.
0: And that'll do it. The show is in the books. A big thanks to everybody who participated tonight. GM Brian Gain, Russell Baxter, Bob wishusen Mark Vandermeer and Andre Ware, appreciate everybody back at 6'10 who kept us on the straight and narrow tonight. We'll see you
2: tomorrow, and as always, go Texans.